Welcome to the Arthroscopy Association's Arthroscopy Journal podcast. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of the Arthroscopy Association or the Arthroscopy Journal. Welcome, everyone. I'm Dr. Clay Nully from TSAOG Orthopedics in San Antonio. Today, I have the privilege of speaking with Dr. Lewis McIntyre, who's the head of strategic development for Westchester County for Northwell Health, and also the current president of the Arthroscopy Association of North America. Dr. McIntyre was the author on a paper titled Cost-Effectiveness Analysis of Needle Arthroscopy versus Magnetic Resonance Imaging in the Diagnosis and Treatment of Meniscal Tears of the Knee, published in the February 2019 edition of the Arthroscopy Journal. His co-authors include Narav Amin, Tom Carter, John Zorogenes, and Jeffrey Boyd. Dr. McIntyre, thank you for joining me today. Thanks, Clay, and it's uh, great to be on this podcast. Uh, we're really proud of the journal and all the work that you guys do uh, uh, to make uh, the journal accessible on multiple platforms and the podcasts are certainly one of the ways to get the great content of the journal out to uh, our members and uh, uh, surgeons all across the United States and even the world. Um, so it's really a pleasure to be uh, here discussing this uh, interesting paper with you. Absolutely. So let's jump right in. Uh, tell us kind of the main conclusions that you and your co-authors would like the listeners and readers to take away from this paper publication. Sure. So um, uh, basically what we did is constructed a Markov uh, analysis, which is a way to model different um, uh, outcomes uh, uh, and possibilities and, and track uh, uh, those outcomes based upon uh, the the known results of certain entities in the literature, and then make predictions on how patients would perform inside of that model. Um, so we compared needle arthroscopy to MRI in patients with either lateral or medial meniscal tears. And then we constructed the model to uh, uh, list the number of, of true positives, false positives, true negatives, and false negatives. And then, uh, based upon those scenarios, uh, the patients with either true positives and false positives wind up having arthroscopy for men, uh, meniscal resection. Uh, the uh, negatives did not; uh, the true negatives did not have any treatment. The false negatives went on to have further treatment with physical therapy and uh, hyaluronic acid injections, and then wound up uh, eventually having arthroscopy. And then we compared the uh, the outcomes in uh, regards to CUS scores, and then cost a cost analysis based upon uh, Medicare data on the cost of MRI and and arthroscopy, and also uh, used a 30% uh, uh, multiplier uh, to uh, extract the uh, the cost of uh, what private insurance would pay. And what we found was uh, that uh, the uh, in all scenarios, the needle arthroscopy was uh, uh, similar in regards to um, uh, uh, accuracy uh, in diagnosis, uh, but rather that it was much uh, less costly in all scenarios. So it was co less costly than MRI um, uh, in, across all the different uh, scenarios. And it, it, the that included uh, uh, both um, uh, MRI in hospitals, which are fairly expensive, and MRIs uh, that are freestanding, which are uh, uh, a whole lot less expensive. Uh, so that was the take-home message of this um, uh, this uh, 
paper. I mean, previous uh, papers, one by Tom Gill, have uh, have sort of documented the accuracy of needle arthroscopy in regards to it, uh, both MRI and uh, uh, regular diagnostic arthroscopy, and found them to be uh, found needle arthroscopy to be similar. Um, <clears throat> so this is something that's been of interest to me for a number of years. This is the third iteration of uh, needle arthroscopy, well, really the fourth, if you consider the old sit scope from way back when, when right after I was a fellow. Uh, then there was the interview uh, device, and then the vision scope, and now this one. Uh, so each iteration has improved the technology that can be brought to bear for in-office arthroscopy. And um, obviously, there there will be some type of tipping point where um, the, the technology becomes uh, attractive enough in the office that um, patients will, I think, see the value of getting immediate diagnosis uh, uh, and treatment algorithms uh, right then and there in the offices uh, uh, as compared to needing to get an MRI approved and pre-certified and then scheduling the MRI. And as all of us know, that sometimes can take uh, an inordinate amount of time. Um, and uh, patient uh, dislocations in regards to uh, continued symptoms and um, delay of treatment. That's it was impressive. Uh, the the numbers were pretty impressive. Um, it was over a thousand dollars for medial meniscus difference, and almost a thousand dollars for lateral meniscus. That, did those numbers surprise you at all, or is that pretty much kind of what you all expected? Uh, no, that did, those didn't surprise me. Uh, basically, you know, and, and and of course, that those numbers are based upon the the co the in hospital MRI costs, which are a whole lot more. Um, and you know, and this, these are published costs. I think really, if you if you looked at it. What what um, insurers are paying for, uh, for example, the MRIs that orthopedic surgeons own in their own offices right now, um, that's a significantly discounted figure. But even if you discount the figure to, say, I think it was $350, $349, it's still, uh, this, the, the, the uh, needle arthroscopy is still cost effective. So uh, it, it, it I think that, and that doesn't include the value add in regards to immediate diagnosis and um, and uh, you know initiate, initiation of treatment. So I'm certainly you know if you take uh, patients' time out of their day, patients' time out of their schedule, time out of work, none of that was modeled here, but you certainly could do that. And I think uh, needle arthroscopy would come out uh, superior in that regard too, because it cuts down on the number of uh, interfaces with the healthcare system that. Uh, that uh, any given patient needs to have. That makes sense. So this, you mentioned this is the, now the fourth generation of this, and you've seen a number of them or all of them. Uh, so is this is this generation you think almost ready, kind of for prime time, as it will, or as or for the common the common practitioner, or, or if not, what are the barriers? I think, or the that, I, think it's, I think I think it's getting there. That's for sure. I mean, uh, in office arthroscopy still has. Um, certain technical um, uh, difficulties. I mean, it, you know, the patient's awake. <clears throat> uh, it's local anesthesia only. Uh, so some patients are really may not tolerate it too well, and you sort of have to pick your patients, especially when you start out doing this. Uh, you, know, you need to make sure that you can quickly get to uh, the uh, points that you, not, you want to uh, 
uh, try to diagnose because uh, sometimes uh, patients can experience a little bit of discomfort. And certainly, um, you know, if you spend too much time or if you start, uh, if they start having significant pain, your ability to, to um, complete the procedure is minimized. So one, it takes a, a learning curve to become facile with the, uh, with the device. And, and certainly in the new milieu of, uh, of, a, of a local anesthesia in a practice setting, it it's definitely takes a little bit of getting used to, um, especially I think for the shoulders. But this, this, that's, not, uh, that's not germane to this discussion. But, um, but uh, it, 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 it's, um, it, I think it, this, this device does offer a reasonable um, uh, picture of the in intraarticular structures of the joint. And I think if you look at the Gill study that came out in the Journal of Arthroscopy in August of 2018, that uh, that statement would be supported by the results of that study. How feasible do you think it would be to incorporate it into a you know a fairly busy practice or a fairly busy clinic day? Is it something that you would kind of try to streamline, like maybe people streamline some of their you know like their HA injections or their cortisone injections or that sort of thing? Or obviously there's a learning curve at the beginning, like you said, so it's going to take some more time initially. How how feasible do you think it is to kind of regularly incorporate this into a busy clinical practice? Sure, great question, and uh, certainly a, a, a you know a practice management question that's important as you don't want this to uh, really slow down the throughput in your office. Um, some, uh, there's a couple of different ways to address that. Uh, the first is you gotta become uh, reasonable at doing this. And uh, so many uh, surgeons elect to start performing these procedures in the operative setting um, before they go to the office setting, just to become comfortable with the equipment and the uh, mechanics of, of performing the procedure. Um, you know, you might go from having a patient be slightly anesthetized to um, uh, to one who's awake. Uh, you know, uh, you could model it any way you want that way. But and once you get uh, good at it, you can then transport those skills into the office setting. Uh, there's a number of different ways to organize your office day to do this. You can um, you can sort of uh, try to uh, select the patients based on the schedule. You know, they have one day where you see a bunch of new knees, so you know you might be using the vision scope in that direction, or set it up so that you can have um, uh, a, uh, a designated area to perform these or room. Some people have the uh, the device on a on a like like a cow, a, a computer on wheels kind of kind of a device where you can you can go from to multiple rooms. And you know I think you need to have the su uh, support staff that allows you to do this uh, and and also perform uh, other tasks simultaneously. So for example, you're going to want to have staff that's available to set the patients up while you're going and doing other tasks in the office, such as seeing other patients. Uh, viewing X-rays, etc. So it's it's one of those things you really have to um, you have to become uh, familiar with this and be able to uh, uh, do it without uh, too much uh, workflow. The, the guys who do a lot of these uh, have uh, suggestions uh, um, on how you might accomplish that. Um, and so you know, it, I, I think it can be incorporated even into busy uh, practices without uh, a lot of um, a disruption of uh, workflow. Yeah, so I guess you kind of already alluded or answered my, my final question, which, which is, 
Are you, have you, or are you, any of your partners or any of the co-authors using it regularly on a regular basis already? Uh, well, I can only speak for myself. I, I, I don't know if, I don't know if Tom is or not. Uh, the other two fellows, I uh, don't know for sure. Uh, for me, I've used it very sparingly. I, I work cur currently in a, um, in a large health system. And so I have to get everything that I do approved and I really having trouble kind of getting this in. Uh, at this point in time, but in my private practice uh, before I was here, I used uh, the device, um, uh, and, you know, and it was it, it was relatively easy to incorporate because uh, the the um, situation in the office was easy. I had a number of multiple rooms. I was sort of working by myself. I had four rooms to myself, and I was able to um, go from room to room and do multiple different tasks uh, um, and have people set up the needle arthroscopy. Um, and I got it to the point where it probably took about uh it's really a twelve to twelve minute uh operation total. I think if you're really considering the absolute time frame, that's when you get pretty good at it. Excellent. Dr. McIntyre's uh article Cost Effectiveness Analysis of Needle Arthroscopy versus Magnetic Resonance Imaging in the Diagnosis and Treatment of Meniscal Tears of the Knee can be found in the February 2019 edition of the Arthroscopy Journal or online at www.arthroscopyjournal.org. Dr. McIntyre, thank you very much for joining me today. Great. Thanks a lot. Uh, and uh, Clay, and thanks for all your help. And I would also recommend Tim Crowell's uh, uh, editorial commentary that follows the article, which is uh, helps lens a little bit of... Um, uh, balance to the to the to everything. Yeah, it's definitely very, great. Very much. Great information. Thank you very much. This concludes this edition of the Arthroscopy Journal podcast. Please join us next time.